0: All right, at this time, we're going to swing into the Word, and we're going to keep going until uh, we feel uh, we've done enough talking, um, or perhaps uh, for me to have done enough talking, um, because I really believe that God wants to speak to us uh, all the time, but particularly Sunday morning is time for God to speak to His people, and God does so through the reading and the proclamation of the Scriptures. Uh, Pastor Vanessa started a series of messages entitled, uh, I Give Myself to Prayer. Uh, And she ministered on the first three um, messages, um, first two hours away in South Africa, uh, and then the third one when I was back. And since that time, I've been ministering along similar lines. uh, And I've given my message a subtitle, and the subtitle is Man Called to Prayer. Uh, And uh, today's going to be the last message on that in that package if you like in that series and when i say the last I mean that is god willing uh god might uh, just impress upon our heart to carry on but for now i feel that uh, uh, god's been speaking to men in particular for the last three weeks Uh, That's where the focus has been. So the focus is, number one, on prayer, and number two, it is on men called to prayer. And, uh, of course, the ladies are praying, and the ladies are part of the sessions too, but it's a little bit like, if I can say this, that this is, the last three weeks, has been men's meeting on Sunday morning, and the ladies are allowed to listen in and to sit in, and they will get something out of it, but the focus and the spotlight is on the men, all right. <laughs> Praise God. And you know what? The ladies are always thrilled. By the way, uh, I suggest that those sessions have come out of prayer, uh, not just uh, not just Pastor Vanessa and myself praying in regards to God. What are you saying to the church? But there are many ladies have been praying for the men, uh, and God releases a word into the lives of men that is powerful, that is life-changing, and that will shift men into their rightful place, uh, into their God-given place. And, uh, you know, the question is, where are the men? Well, the lady wants to know, where's my man? Well, the lady knows where he is physically. He's like right there, where, wherever there is. Um, she probably knows where, where he's at uh, uh, emotionally emotionally. Uh, and, 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 and but she really wants to know where he's at spiritually, man. Where are you at spiritually? So, man, uh, we are about to launch out into another message. The spotlight is on you this morning, and it shines, <clears throat> excuse me, shines right from heaven on you. All right, so I'm not putting the spotlight on you, it's God's got the spotlight on you and on me. So, with that, I want to read our opening scripture again in Psalm 109, verse 4, where we David, uh, uh, the shepherd boy, David the king says, I am a man of prayer. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm somehow inspired by that. I am a man of prayer. And I believe that God wants every man to be able to say, I am a man of prayer. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 8, uh, Paul the apostle says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without Doubting, uh, and this scripture in particular is addressed to men uh, in the church. Uh, it is particular; it is addressed to the males in the church, um, and we said that uh, God is calling men to prayer. Um, and to develop more in the discipline of prayer. And prayer is a discipline. Uh, prayer is also a habit. Uh, and we develop... How many you know there's good habits and bad habits? Well, prayer is a good habit. Uh, and God wants us to develop further in that. And we said that the man is the priest in his home, and he is the spiritual leader of his family. Um, it's just what the Bible says. Uh, um, tells us. Uh, Like it or not, man, you're the leader in your home. Um, And uh, we also said that that the wife and and the children are under the spiritual covering of, in her instance, obviously, of her husband in the lives of the children of their father. Uh, So there is a spiritual covering that is created by the man finding his rightful place uh, in the purposes of God. And we said that through prayer and seeking God for wisdom and direction, a man and a father establishes a spiritual covering uh, of safety and protection for his family. Uh, last week we looked at some research, and I'm still just recapping before we start to cover uh, new ground. But we did some, uh, we shared some research that has been done in regards to the spiritual habits of men, of fathers, and we discovered there that, and this is very clearly shown in research, that the religious practice of the father in the family, above all, determines the future attendance at or absence from church. Of his children. Uh, and by the way, man, if you've missed any of the last two sessions in particular, but I'd encourage you to go further back and to listen to the messages the Pastor Vanessa has administered on that particular theme here to get the full package. I'd encourage you to go back to some of that, make sure you don't miss anything. We discovered there that somehow the spiritual condition of the Father transfers into the lives of his children. A general statement, I know. Um, but that's what it does more so than the spiritual condition or habits of the mother. Now, praise God for mothers, praise God for them holding the fort and standing their ground. But ultimately, what the father does tends to transfer mostly into the lives of his children. So, Father, what that means is uh, if you're slack spiritually today, your kids are going to be slack spiritually tomorrow. That's the reality of it. If you're winging it today, your kids are going to be bringing it tomorrow. And that's kind of like a, kind of a shocking reality when as men, and we feel the burden and the responsibility of this whole deal, that how we go, they will end up going. And uh, so what we do today, will have a bearing on where our children will be tomorrow. And so with that, I would like to turn to the book of Acts um, And by the way, this is a happy day. (laughs) This is a happy day today. This is a happy message. All right. I want to turn to the book of Acts chapter 6 and read four verses out of this passage here. Uh, And and then we want to make some comments on that because I believe, once again, that God wants to speak to mostly to men uh, out of this passage here this morning. As I said, praise God for all the ladies here. Uh, But as I say, you know, this is like a men's meeting where the ladies are allowed to come on board to see what men are talking about when they get together. All right, so there you go. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, uh, there were rumblings of discontent. Now, remember, the church was just born in Acts chapter 2. Um, the day of Pentecost was, the, if you like, the birth of the church. Uh, on the same day, two, 3,000 people got saved. Um, and a couple of days later, a few more thousand got saved. We're now in the middle of revival. This is like just a, just a snowballing, uh, uh, how people came to the Lord and, and so forth. And this is the setting that Acts chapter 6 describes. But it says that the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against, in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Now, here is is a, a... Peter, if you like, he's not against food programs, but he says, look, he says, people need to run that. That's part of the work of the ministry. We ourselves, as the ministers of the gospel, as the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, our job description is to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, to teaching and preaching the word. Um, and so, uh, he said in verse three, so brothers, he says, select seven men. Everybody says seven men. He says, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will give them this responsibility. And then we, apostles, can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Now, of course, we realize that the book of Acts is actually, if you, if you like, the pattern for what the church is supposed to look like and how the church is supposed to function. Right there, we see the job description of ministers, which for the most part is prayer and ministry. Of the word, now the reality of a reality of it is, it looks a little bit different because sometimes people do not realize what it takes in terms of uh, in terms of uh, you know running and organizing a church or a ministry or that there's just uh, multiple things going on at any given day, uh, multiple responsibilities. But for the most part, a lot of that uh, responsibility needs to be downloaded, needs to be delegated, and right there in this particular instant, they said, "We want you all to find seven men, um, and not just any." Any old man, but find seven men, and then he gives some specifics which I will touch on again in just a moment. But here's the point. What strike, what struck me when I read through that passage here is how in the middle of revival you're gonna have discontented and complaining Christians. Figure that out. Figure that out. We're in revival. I mean, as I said just before, we talk about water baptism next Sunday. It's like it's celebration time, and this is happy time. Amen. The Bible says, each time when a sinner repents, there's a party in heaven. Even the angels of God are rejoicing. Amen. And some Christians are depressed and unhappy and discontented, and they complain. I, 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 get, I find it difficult to get my head around that. In the middle of revival. And so, the apostles said, all right, time to come together. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, he says, I want you guys to find seven men. He says in, in the New Living Translation, he says, um, seven men who are well respected and are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. So seven men who are not full of themselves, but full of the Spirit. That's right. uh, seven men who are not full of foolishness, but they're full of, the, of wisdom. Amen. All right. And... Uh, And and I want you to to bring them together, um, and we will give them this responsibility. Um, Now, I should point out that there is no magic aspect to the number seven. It's not so much the number that matters here. It is them being full of wisdom and full of the Spirit of God. And that's, of course, what it's talking about right there. Full of the Spirit of God. Of God. In, the God's, in God's Word translation, which is a kind of a, a, a modern translation, he says, Choose seven men whom the people know are spiritually wise. Seven men whom the people know are spiritually wise. And of course, we know that they brought him before them, charged him with this responsibility. The apostles laid their hands Upon them and commissioned them for, from from this work, gave them the authority and the clout to be able to go out and to organize this whole deal and to sort the problems out. Um, and of course, uh, we see here in this passage the choosing of the first seven deacons. Um, All right, deacons, Uh, uh, of course, later on, it tells us about deacons and their qualifications uh, that are required in order for them to be able to function in the church. But one of the first qualifications given right there is that they need to be spirit-filled. A friend of mine moves uh, within church... um, structures in and out of uh, what we might call spirit-filled and non-spirit-filled churches, whatever that term may mean. And sometimes he gets called into historic churches uh, to help out with, uh, with um, issues and problems that they're facing. And in some instances, the issues is in the committees and the problems are in the committees and in the, in the leadership teams. And then he sits there, and of course, he's a Pentecostal man. He's a good friend of mine. And he points out that the church actually started out spirit-filled, so why did we end up now with non-spirit-filled? The church started out tongue-talking. How did we now get to people not only not talking in tongues, but even being against talking in tongues? How does that work? And then he sort of has a little suggestion there that a number of these guys that are sitting around actually disqualified at that point alone, you're not even supposed to be here. You don't, you don't fulfill the criteria. I mean, how, how have you not? That's a little bit in your face. But, you know, sometimes when you get non-spirit-filled men, or women for that matter, who, who, who are not filled with the Spirit but filled themselves, immediately going to get problems. Because people operate at the level of the, of the flesh rather than operating in the Spirit. And so that's what's going on right there. So he says, all right, guys... Uh, uh, There's clearly some problems here. We've got issues going on. We've got complaining going on. We've got one translation says there's murmuring going on. There's kind of undertones uh, through the church. There's rippling. There's people saying things. People are sharing their disgruntlement with each other. And it's a little bit like a virus. You get close enough to these people, you're liable to catch the jolly thing. And so sometimes we need to realize that we need to watch ourselves. And some people, I'd rather not get around them because you get a, a monk, they got a virus. And that virus is called complaining, grumbling, negativity, whinging, whining, criticizing, and everything else. And it is like a virus. So the apostle says, all right, call seven men, bring them before us. And we want them to be known by the people. Uh, so in other words, they're not just fly by nights, uh, pop-up um, Uh, Type guys, you know, you know, when you get on the website and you got these pop-up things, uh, you know, so don't choose a pop-up. Choose one that's been around for a while that everybody knows. And uh, we want him to be spiritually wise. The question is this: How does a man become spiritually wise? How how does he do that? Because it's not for the lack of desire that man, uh, you know, in terms of wanting to be spiritually wise. It's how do you do that? Well, you become spiritually wise through prayer and through the wisdom found in God's word. You come spiritually wise by attending the, the various meetings and services that the church puts on where the word of God is shared and where God's wisdom is shared in regards to how to be a man and for that matter for women, how to be a woman. And, 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 and of course, people are all mixed up today. And, and we say, well, this is God's plane. And this is the, the role and the function for a husband. This is the role and um, function of a, of a wife. This is the role and function of children. And it's, it's all in the Word. It's all God's wisdom. Amen. Hallelujah. So through prayer, worship, and the wisdom found in God's Word, a man will become spiritually wise. Um. Because in the choosing or in the qualifications for deacons and for elders, he says, don't choose a novice. Um, he says, because if you choose a novice and you give him some authority, he says, he will be overtaken with pride. And then sometimes, and, and you know, we see this in the church world across the board. You give somebody a little bit of clout and a little bit of authority, the head starts to swell. And it's called Pride. So he always says, "Choose somebody that's spiritually wise that can actually handle authority. That's not going to get uh, not going to get big hated, big hated. I nearly say pig hated. We don't use that word in church. It's big hated. All right. So he says, pick a guy that can handle that, so he doesn't get, get all all inflated and, and thinks more of himself than than what he should. Um, so it's an interesting thing that the problem was actually created by people." murmuring people and said, no, the problem was created by a problem being there. No, 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 there will always be problems in the church. There will always be issues. There is always uh, uh, an issue where something is overlooked. Something is not quite done how it could have been done. Uh, Something is overlooked. The the other day, this last week, we just had an issue where somebody rung us. They had overlooked something and we should have been invited to something that we weren't invited to it. I say, oh, yeah, I I know what that feels like. I'm I'm in leadership myself. There's multiple things going on. It's easy to drop the ball somewhere. But the question is not did we drop the ball. The question is are we all gracious with one another? Are we walking in the spirit now and still keep a good attitude? Are we now going to get in the flesh and start to the rumbling and the mumbling and the complaining and the wringing and the whining, which is so common in the world today? How do you know that we're really preaching now, aren't we? <laughs> <Hallelujah>. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> praying men are able to solve any problem in any church. Somehow that line there in the outline should be bolded. And it should be underlined. And, and I'll fix that problem in <laughs> the next printing of it. Okay? Praying men are able to solve any problem in any church. But if men don't pray, they're likely to become part of the problem themselves by starting to get discontented themselves and starting to complain themselves. And if you've got a man sitting next to you, just come turn to him and say, are you a part of the problem or part of the answer? Just ask him right now. Are you a part of the problem or part of the answer? (laughs) (laughs) I I told you. I told you that the spotlight is on the man this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Whoo! Not uncommon, not uncommon for people. You know, it speaks there about discontented, says frustrated. Sometimes people carry frustration around with them, and it surfaces from time to time. Some men carry anger around with them, and it surfaces from time to time. My friend, if you're a man and you're frustrated all the time and you're angry a lot of the time, you're not a praying man. Because in, in prayer, we roll our frustration off onto the Lord and we receive answers. And sometimes men run around, they're frustrated because they've got no answers, but they're not going to the place where we find answers. Discontented and complaining Christians usually don't pray, and praying Christians usually don't get discontented and they don't complain. And here's the punchline you cannot be a praying Christian and a complaining Christian at the same time. (laughs) We're doing all right this morning? Amen. (laughs) For a man to have anger issues, which is not uncommon, I'm a man. <laughs> I had to deal with my own anger issues. And if it ever, whenever it might rear its head, I still got to deal with it. But anger is the manifestation of an unresolved issue. And for some men, it is a control mechanism. Because some men think that in order to be a man and to be the leader, I've got to dominate my family and dominate everybody around me. But the leadership that God has called us into is not a domination leadership. It is a servant leadership. That's right. And you don't impose your demand for respect on your family. You earn the respect by being a godly man. And by coming into the presence of God and humbling yourself in this place and by praying and by worshiping, by lifting up your hands and to kind of, uh, you know, it's quite okay. People say, well, the man should know what to do. Well, sometimes the man just don't know. We're we, we facing issues that we just don't know how to deal with. Don't know how to fix. And yet we're fixers. Men want to fix things. The lady, she has a problem. The man wants to fix it. And some issues she wants fixed but other things she just wants somebody to listen <laughs> and we want to fix and sometimes that's, a, that's like a, it spells problems like right there she says alright you taught me the problem I'm going to go out I'm going to talk to someone no 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 I just want you to listen <laughs> okay you, Hallelujah. James chapter 5 verse 13 in the Amplified Translation is anyone among you afflicted Ill-treated, suffering evil. He should pray. Is anyone glad at heart? He should sing praise to God. That is very basic. <laughs> it's not deep theology here. It says, if you've got problems, pray. if you're happy, sing songs. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is anybody afflicted? Is anybody ill-treated? What do people do today? If they feel ill-treated, they go and find themselves somebody to complain to. You don't know what so-and-so has said about me, and you know what, they're mistreating me now. And but God says, no, 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 no. That's, that's not how we handle things in the kingdom of God. You've got problems. You feel you're at the receiving end of some stuff that shouldn't be happening. You go and pray. Amen. But, but if you're already happy, you sing songs. But if you're not happy, you pray. And pray until you get happy so you can sing songs to God. Sometimes people step into leadership and suddenly all hell breaks loose. And people say, oh, this is hard. Oh, people are saying unkind things about me. And I usually say, welcome to the ministry. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> because people make it a sport to criticize their leaders. That's what people do in the world today. You go right back to Egypt where Moses and Aaron and Joshua and these guys led the people, several million of them, a congregation of seven mi- several million people and they're all complaining. Have you noticed know that that's material where you just want to go to heaven right there? <laughs> so Lord, it's time for the rapture. <laughs> See, he says, if you're ill-treated, if you're suffering evil, you should pray. But if you're already glad at heart, you should sing songs. It's very plain, very basic. See, God knows that if we pray consistently, we're less inclined to complain. I get around complaining people, and I immediately know they're not praying people. I just know it. Because, as we said before, that it is not possible to be a praying Christian and a complaining Christian at the same time. Now, that, of course, does not mean that if we have a concern that we can bring that to the attention of the appropriate people and appropriate parties and so forth. Look, we have a concern here. But, you know, complaining, there is like this murmuring, this under undercurrent that's running through uh, and everything. And you get it in virtually every company. You get it in every institution where there's people just like always, you know, around a, a more in tea time, what do they do? They criticize uh, the company, they criticize the management, they criticize this. That's just what people do. Yeah. But he says, "If you are in the kingdom of God, that's not how we operate in the kingdom of God. Right. Is everybody happy this morning? <laughs> See, complaining and murmuring was one of the five sins that kept Israel out of the promised land. Five sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul lists them, five of them to be exact. Murmuring and complaining was one of those five sins that kept them out. The other one was uh, there was idolatry going on. They were, they were lusting after evil things, uh, uh, the sexual immorality. There was murmuring co- and complaining, and there was idol worship, five sins that kept the people out of Israel. And he says, these things are written down for our learning and for our example. You see, people are kept out of the blessing of God through their whinging and their whining. Say, I'm complaining because my life's not good. Listen, your life doesn't get better by complaining. Your life gets better by praying. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm going to preach to that crowd over here. They might be a bit more responsive over here. <laughs> <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, Do all things... In fact, let me back up. What does it say here? It says, do some things without complaining and disputing. (laughs) That's what it says. Do do a few things without disputing and complaining. (laughs) It says, do all things without complaining and without disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless. It's an interesting thing. Because we claim, uh, and rightly so, that in God's sight, we are blameless, unreprovable, and un, 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 unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. And that's our legal position, but here he says, you need to become that. He yeah. says, you are that, your legal position, but you need to become that. And how do we become that? By no longer operating like everybody else operates through whinging, whining, complaining and all of that. I'm not sort of talking about that there's anything in particular going on that suddenly, you know, I need to feel the labor the point. But I know how it works in the world. I, I get around people. In fact, this and I had some dealings with, some, with, some, with a tradesperson some, some weeks ago, a couple of months ago. I mean, all the man did was whinge and complain, complain and put everybody else down in order to lift himself up. And we didn't have a good experience. <laughs> Should have known. You get around somebody, there's going to be issues there. When you, if that's what's visible, if that's what you see in terms of the tip of the iceberg, what's underneath? And some of that we got to see a little bit later on. So that's that's... Uh, what works in the world uh, uh, in, in, in many respects is a, is a culture. And yet you get some very fine people in the world who are not saved, who if we were to compare Christians against them, some of them are doing better than what some Christians are doing. In fact, I listened to some of the messages that Peter ministered uh, during Vanessa's in my time away in terms of the spiritual war and the armor of God and just some excellent word that he shared there and, and, and he pointed out that, you know, the perception of people outside the church is that everybody inside the church are hypocrites and the reality is that's not true. Not all are hypocrites, but some are. Some are. Praise God. I'm going to try that group over here now and see if they respond better to me. <laughs> so it says, do all things, all things, all things without murmuring, without complaining, without disputing. What's disputes? Uh, well, um, we understand that in our judicial system, you've got courts that deal with sort of major issues, criminal activity and who knows what. But we also got a disputes tribunal where, you know, there's small courts, uh, small, small claims court, that type of stuff, where people just got into a scrap over one thing or other. And so, some instances, I think the way that it works is if there's any some money going on that people are disputing about, they say, "Oh, no, that's mine. Oh, no, it's mine. Or you owe me this. No, I don't owe you that. If it's anything under $20,000, I believe it goes to that uh, a disputes tribunal and there's somebody there they're not necessarily a judge like you get a high court judge but you get somebody there that will make a ruling for one or against another and so forth and then hopefully people abide by that um and sometimes people are pretty sue-happy. Uh, they just want to sue. They want, I'm, I'm going to meet you in court. We're going to trash this thing out before the judge and everything. God has just sort it out uh, and, 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 and just get this thing uh, on the way. But that's the sport uh, that people play in the world. That whole area of uh, you know, complaining and getting into disputes is a common sport. In the world today, sport is, of course, quote-unquote. See, Christians don't engage in the same sport. uh, And if we don't, we shine as lights. he says, in a crooked and in a perverse generation. It's kind of an interesting passage here. That, you know, the whole crookedness and perverseness. People think, uh, oh, surely that means that these people are just, you know, they're all, they're all bank robbers. They're all murderers. They're all, you know, just, you know, uh, everything. No, no, no. Just complaining and venging and whining puts people into the crookedness uh, that the Bible speaks about here. He says, if you don't complain, he says, you shine, you stand out. You raise yourself above all of that. So... Uh, the next passage of scripture I want to read here in Luke chapter 22 will deal more with answers, I suppose, rather than kind of pointing out problems, even though Jesus is really still sort of dealing with this very same issue here. He uh, says in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it says, Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, saying, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. Now, of course, the Mount of Olives, there was a, 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 an olive grove there called the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus went there often with his disciples in this instance. They just had uh, uh, the Last Supper together. They're now going over there, and Jesus is praying. He knows what he's about to face. When they came to capture him and to drag him off and to drag him through some courts, made up false charges against him, beat him and abused him and used him and, and bruised him and everything else, and then hung him on the cross, Jesus knew exactly was about what's about to happen so they're in the garden of Gethsemane there they're in this place um, and uh, he told them he says pray that you will not enter into temptation then he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed he says father he says if you're willing take this cup of suffering away from me yet I want you will to be done not mine and then an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him and he prayed more fervently. It's an interesting thing, but sometimes as men, we're facing things that we don't want to do, yet we know that it has to be done because, uh, because uh, that's part of the leadership role that God's given to us in our families. We, we've got to make certain decisions. Sometimes they're not always you know, popular, and sometimes it's not always immediately recognized, but we don't operate arbitrarily. We communicate with our spouse and everything, but somewhere, somehow, a decision has to be made. Well, of course, in this instance, it's much bigger than that Jesus is facing death. He's facing suffering. Uh, he's facing a whole bunch of guys that are coming with swords and with sticks and with clubs to kind of take to him and to, to beat him up before they finally hang him on the cross. And if that wasn't enough, then he had to go to hell on our part. And Jesus, on our behalf, and Jesus knew all of that. That was no surprise. Yeah. So he's now praying. And... Uh, and uh, He's about to t- face a tough time. You know, when we face a tough time, it's good to pray. We've already read that before. Um, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, he says, you guys be praying as well. And I'll be over there. He's praying over there. And the Bible says, an angel came to strengthen him. You see, we get strengthened in prayer. I know about you, but I always feel stronger when I come out of prayer meeting than what I was when I go into it. My faith is always stronger when I come out afterwards because we've just prayed. We've just declared scripture. we just de- declared the word. Faith rises, and we know that we are serving a God with whom nothing is impossible. Amen. I mean, hallelujah for that. Um, so he says... Uh, um, he says, an angel from heaven came, strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that sweat uh, fell to the ground like drops of blood. And at last he stood up and he returned to his disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. He says, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. So there's a few things to note. They said that phrase here, pray, so that you will not enter into temptation. That is a principle. See, everybody faces temptation. Let me tell you, men are facing temptation. He says, if you pray, you're going to overcome the temptation. If you don't pray, you're liable to succumb. Overcome or succumb. Um, A few things to note here. Jesus successfully resisted temptation. What was the temptation? To bail out. I don't want to do this. And Jesus said, look, he says, it wouldn't be hard for me to call on my Father in heaven. He will send us a few legions of angels and get me out of here. But that wasn't the will of God. The will of God was for him to go right through and to be the sacrificial lamb that, him, uh, that Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit had worked out before, even before the foundation of the world. That was part of the plan of salvation for mankind. That was the will of God. So Jesus successfully resisted temptation and he fulfilled the will of God for his life because he prayed consistently. Jesus was a man of prayer. Uh, He says when... They went to that uh, place on the Mount of Olives as as they usually went. Jesus had a few spots where he went to pray, uh, a few physical places where he would go to quietly to pray or bring his disciples and pray. So that was kind of a habitual thing. Jesus was a man of habits, and one of those habits that he had developed was a habit of prayer. And ultimately, Jesus succeeded Uh, in his mission. And the reason why, where he succeeded was first in prayer and then he fleshed everything out. And all of us, we succeed first in prayer and then we flesh everything out. Judas had already succumbed to temptation because evidently he wasn't a praying man. And the word evidently there uh, is in brackets. Uh, Would it be safe for us to assume that Judas wasn't a praying man? Absolutely be very safe to assume that because he was a thieving man. You see, a praying man is not a thieving man. And a thieving man is not a praying man. And one that betrays his own law for money for 30 pieces of silver is not a praying man. Now, he might pray occasionally, but he does not pray consistently. Because when we enter into prayer, it's not so much as what we can ask for. It's about changing where we come into prayer. Say, God, Lord, change my life. i got all this stuff going on in my head all of this stuff going on in my life. Lord, I need your help. Uh, and this is where we said that that posture of lifting up hands is a, first and foremost a posture of prayer and a posture of surrender, where we say, God, I, I don't know how to do this by myself. And of course we don't, uh, but it's good to recognize that. So Jesus, said, uh, should I say, Judas had already bailed out. He had not prayed. And of course, at that stage, he was no longer among them. And Jesus says, you guys stay here and pray. Judas was already somewhere else. He'd already gone. He'd backslidden a long time ago. Um, the remaining 11 disciples all abandoned Jesus when he was captured because they too hadn't strengthened themselves in prayer. See, Jesus knew what was coming up. And Jesus told them that he was going to be captured. And they said, oh, Lord, don't talk like that. That's not, that's not positive. That's, uh, you know, it's almost like we want to hear positive things. No, he says, he says, the Son of Man will be lifted up. He will be crucified. In fact, so much so that Peter at once at one stage says, oh, oh he, says, uh, he says, no, no, Lord, we're not going to do that. And Jesus turned around and he says to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. He's the devil yeah. speaking through Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus immediately addressed the spirit behind that foul thing. That Peter wasn't walking in the wisdom of God. He was walking in the natural, walking in the the soulish stuff. And, uh, you know, where people interpret things differently from the soulish realm rather than from the spiritual realm. And, of course, we know in terms of not having strengthened themselves in prayer, we know that Peter denied Jesus three times before the night was fully gone. Because Jesus, uh, they had supper together. By now it's late. For all we know, it could be close to midnight. They're going to that garden of Gethsemane there on the olive grove there. They're praying. And then people come and capture Jesus, drag him away. And then he's put before courts in the middle of the night. And Jesus turned around, and as they drag him off, he turns around, and he says to Peter, he says, Peter, he say, because he says, "I will not leave you." He says, I, "I'm going to be absolutely with you." Jesus, uh, Peter may right, he may well, but Jesus says, "No." He says before the, the before the rooster crawls, he says, "You're going to deny me three times." That's right. Now, how many know? How many of you grew up on the farm? How many you know that the rooster? Crawls early like sometimes they start so early you want to wring their necks like I mean I mean it's not even they don't even wait for sun, sunlight to come up as soon as it's slightly you know they start crawling, and, and so for all we know this is almost midnight and not four hours later at three o'clock in the morning for all we know four o'clock perhaps Peter had denied Jesus three times why is that? well he said pray he says temptation is about to happen yeah, right. but pray Temptation is about to happen. Amen. <laughs> it's uh, as I said before. You know, men, men. There's temptation, and men need to pray. Women need to pray too. They they are tempted too. Uh, it's not always the same kind of temptation or the same types of temptation. But if we pray, we are strengthened in prayer. I was uh, headed off to my annual trip to South Africa. And in this instance, uh, Vanessa, we had decided for her to stay behind uh, back here. And so I went by myself, which is not really my preference. But anyway, I felt that it was important for me to be there had a wonderful conference, had all the co- meetings, all the connections, everything was wonderful. And in um, one instance when I came home from the meeting, um, in fact, I was. Uh, this is morning now, I'm getting ready to go for breakfast. I've just come back for doing a, a jog around the hotel complex, which is a large complex. <laughs> I come into the... Uh, you guys impressed, are you? Because I was out running in the morning. I was impressed too. <laughs> I was very impressed with myself. I'm out running. And so anyway, uh, hotel foyer downstairs, steps going up, and then two wings off to the rooms, and I'm headed up, up to my room. And uh, on the way out, I noticed that there was a lady sitting there in that little upstairs foyer area. And as I headed out, and she sort of turned around and smiled and, uh, and thought nothing of it, and run, come back. And so now she's calling to me. Uh, and, you know, being the person that I am, I don't like being rude. I was in a hurry because I was uh, due to get cleaned up and then go and have breakfast and start my day. And because I, I typically have breakfast with Pastor Byrne and with Pastor Nain, who many of you know. Um, and um, so she sort of starts talking and I had a bit of trouble hearing. So I'm going over there and she says, oh, uh, you're out running. I says, yes. Uh, and so somehow it's just sort of—it was a bit strange, a bit unusual. Uh, like, oh, how do you feel? I said, I'm feeling great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, and some. She says, so what, what are you going to do now? And I'm thinking, this is a bit of a personal question. Now it's like <laughs> if it's a, if I'm just standing in a hotel foyer upstairs, not anybody around Here's This lady's asking, what, what are you going to do now? And it, well, I'm about to have a shower. So I'm not telling this woman I'm about to have a shower. So I sort of thought, uh, no, I will just go, go get a little cleaned up, and then I'll have breakfast. And uh, and then she says, oh, would you like me to come and massage your back? And I says, no, thank you. I'm about to meet somebody, and I'm out of there like a shot. <laughs> I'm out of there like a shot. So it suddenly all made sense. She'd sat there before, and um, when I shared with Pastor Bernie, so I immediately thought, oh, I've got to tell somebody here. I've got to talk to somebody <laughs> here. So Pastor Bernie. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it turns out that she had hit on a number of other men that, uh, in that, hotel wing where she said herself at the entrance and suddenly you know proverbs all came alive it's like proverbs just all came alive and i'm just reading proverbs right now and now I'm, now I'm experiencing this thing it's like you know the bible speaks of the evil woman the immoral woman but you know what if there were no evil men there would be no room for evil women in that respect you know people are quick to point oh she's a prostitute she is this if there's no business she will move on to another profession if we stop the demand, there's no more business. <laughs> and so, Pastor Bernie, I says, I need to tell you. I says, <laughs> so, of course, Pastor Bernie, so anyway, and, of course, Pastor Nane comes down, and she says, oh, Pastor Stephan, I understand. I says, yes, yes, yes. Turns out that Vanessa and I got to know a lovely pastor from down the uh, the east coast uh, uh, of uh, of South Africa, down further down from Durban. Just a lovely guy. <laughs> he always comes every year with his with his wife, and this time he had his his uh, son and his daughter-in-law with him. Anyway, he's also out. He just comes back from from the gym. She's hitting on him as well. So a little bit of a like, oh gosh, you know, how does that happen? So uh, so. <laughs> So anyway, people say, people say, uh, were you tempted? <laughs> well, not really. Not really. But, 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 but I'm not going to tell you what went on in my head at that time. I thought I need to go and tell somebody. <laughs> so ladies, pray for your man. Pray for you. I mean this. You <laughs> we're having fun. But it's very sad, but pray for your man. Because men get up to things when they're away. I remember as a young man, i just arrived in, 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 in uh, Holland for a stint of working up there. I finished my apprenticeship in Austria where I was born and raised, and I went up there and... Uh, we were out uh, going home after work and typically doing shift work, you were out late and it's dark and uh, I was in this town square somewhere, this man comes over, well-dressed and everything and he starts talking to me, um, sort of worked out as to what language to speak, uh, I spoke a little bit of English at that stage, not a great deal, I learned Dutch or some and, uh, and of course I spoke German because that's my mother tongue and, uh, and uh, he and he, he, he asked me a question. I says, what? He says, oh, I'm looking for, I says, you're looking for what? He says, I'm looking for girls. And so here's a businessman. He's out by himself. He doesn't have his wife with him, and he's out looking for girls. So, you know, men get up to things, and I'm not about to accuse all the men here if they go away, but I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you need to pray for your men. And then it, it's a good idea to send, away, send y- your man away satisfied. Don't, don't send him away hungry, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> you don't send a man through the supermarket. When I, mean, I go shopping and I'm hungry, I always end up buying more than what I should. You know, it's just a problem. So I usually eat and then I go shopping. But you know, if I can bring that correlation across into that whole world, there, you know, this is a, you know, when, when there's only blokes around, I can be a bit more punchy. But we got the ladies here today, I'm, so I'm I'm using euphemism, uh, if you like, to kind of, you know, tell you what's important. Uh, and it mightn't be important to you, but it's important to your man. So so don't send him away hungry. Send him away satisfied. And send him nice send him nice emails and nice text messages say, I'm looking forward to you getting back again (laughs) (laughs) And he can't wait (laughs) He can't wait (laughs) See ultimately only a praying man Can successfully resist temptation and fulfil the will of God for his life. Ultimately. That doesn't make every man a bad man? Absolutely not. Good men come under temptation. But if they haven't prayed, they're not in a good place and a good space and everything, and then men succumb to temptation. You know, there are various reasons why we should pray. And amongst those, and included in those reasons, is number one, we communicate with God. Amen. And it's right for us to communicate with God because he called us into his family. It's good and right for us to talk to our Father in heaven to talk to Jesus, who is our Savior and also our older brother. The Bible says that he's the firstborn amongst many brethren. Good to us to talk to the Holy Spirit because he's filled us. He's the one that empowers us to deal with life's issues and with life's problems and to overcome temptation. And uh, the other reasons will be because we ask God for things and that, that we call the prayer of faith. Or we thank God for things, and that we call the prayer of thanksgiving. And, of course, we deal with all of that in Bible college. We, we teach all of that, every type of prayer there is and how to pray and so forth. And we, got, we haven't got time to get into those things uh, in greater detail in, in, in any given Sunday service. But, we, as I say, we deal with that in Bible college. That's why we encourage people to say, come. And get into Bible college. You, you will go in one side, you'll come out the other side. You'll be a changed person. You'll be a, a much more spiritually strong person. Your, your character, your personality, everything would have been honed and reshaped and everything. And you'll come out a stronger person at the other end. Amen. We pray for others. That's called the prayer of intercession. And then we got that prayer where we strengthen ourselves, and all prayer would typically strengthen us spiritually, but in particular praying in tongues. Praying in the spirit strengthens a person. Hallelujah. People might say, "Was it difficult to turn down that back massage?" No, not difficult at all. I didn't have to like, "Oh, let me see. Let me see. I should pray about this. <laughs> no, I'd already prayed. And by the way, I do appreciate prayer and I know there's people praying when I'm away. In fact, there's people praying for me and praying for Pastor Vanessa and I consistently, we appreciate that. Um, Particularly when we're away, people are praying, I appreciate that, praise God for that. Mark 14 verse 38. Still the same deal. Um, Jesus says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. There's a principle here. There's a certain amount of time in prayer required to be able to successfully deal with temptation. Now, one man's temptation is not another man's temptation. You know, so, so men, you know different people get tempted with different things, but in order to, to pray, it lifts us above and we breeze across it, and it's not an issue, it's not a bother. Jesus says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's another principle right there. You see, temptation is typically aimed at the flesh of man, meaning his old nature, or for that matter, her old nature. But the fact that this is a man's meeting. Where the ladies are allowed to sit in, we're just focusing in on the man. It's in the flesh of man in his old sinful nature. You see, by nature we are, the Bible says, we are a spirit. We have a soul and we live inside of a body. When we become born again, we surrender our life to Jesus. We receive a brand new spirit and and that's who we are. We are a spirit. But we still have that old nature to deal with and to contend with. And Paul spent considerable portions in the New Testament in Romans, touches on it in Ephesians and Colossians and everything with the old nature uh, Galatians. He speaks about it as well. So temptation is typically aimed at the flesh of man because that's where the weakness is located. So if the Spirit's willing but the flesh is weak. Peter was willing to follow Jesus right through. But in the end, he caved in when the pressure came on and the flesh was weak and he bowed out and he denied Jesus three times. Peter was doing better than the other 10. The other 10 had already gone. They were just scattered in all directions. At least Peter like, oh, I want to be with my Lord. I promised I would never leave him. So he staggers after him and and then, you know, he sees him... uh, and from a distance, and he's warming himself, and they're standing around. This is nighttime, and he's talking, otherwise, he doesn't want to be, you know, suspicious, uh, or th- he doesn't not want them to be suspicious, and so forth. And they recognize him by his speech. He says, You're one of those Galileans, aren't you? you oh, in fact, you're one of the followers of Jesus. He says, Absolutely not. <laughs> he is willing, but he caved in in his flesh. See, the born again spirit of a believer is not subject to temptation. Temptation is in the flesh. The born-again spirit is above. Temptation, but, and here's the, the qualifier, if a believer doesn't build himself up through prayer, worship, and the word of God, he will be weak in his spirit and succumb to the temptation of the flesh. And this is the deal. It's a bit like hot air ballooning. You've got to blow in enough hot air into this thing so that it lifts itself above all the roofs of houses, all the power lines, the hills and the mountains, and then it soars across. When a man prays, he gets lifted up above all of that. He gets lifted from the realm of the flesh into the realm of the spirit, and he soars. And so that's why Peter says, I want you to find seven men who are spiritually wise who can deal with this problem. We don't want seven men who are, you know, very intellectually wise. He says, I want him to be spiritually wise. And listen, I say this with some reluctance, but it helps to get a point across. A man can be an intellectual giant and a spiritual midget. All the training has been in his head. And in his soul, and I'm all for that. I'm all for universities and and people that have degrees. I'm all for that. Uh, And praise God for that. But in the meantime, we need to develop our spirit and build that thing up so that our spirit becomes the dominant force. And it's not hard. You get amongst people and you listen. And I sort of tend to say, what am I hearing here? Um, People sort of need some help. and got some issues going on. So what am I hearing here? And sometimes, uh, sometimes what I'm hearing, I'm I'm hearing flesh. But what I'm hearing here is soulish. It makes sense. It's logical, but it's not the spirit. And a man may try to soar in the spirit. But if he hasn't prayed, he's just sitting flat on the ground, just sliding along and interpreting everything in the natural and intellectually and academically. What we are talking about is not an academic exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. You can bet your life on it that those people who were complaining and murmuring were operating on a flesh level. They were not operating in the spirit. They weren't grateful for what they were getting They were whinging and complaining because others were getting more than them. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And here's what we're trying to heed for. Verse 16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. When Peter says, "I need seven men who are spiritually wise, they need to be above this level here. That's what I need He says. Those seven men are able to sort out the problem. And I said before that it's not the seven, that's the, the number or that that's somewhat magical in, in any respect. It is the men who have learned through prayer to being submitted to God, being submitted in their local church, being submitted to their pastor and to spiritual authority around them and now qualified for his family to submit to him because he's a safe man. His wife knows not only where he is physically and where he's emotionally, but she knows where he's at spiritually. And she's got confidence in him and she can trust in him. And the world is passing away, verse 17, and the last of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And let me close with this statement. Only a praying man can rise above the level of the flesh, rule his life from his born-again spirit, and do the will of God for his life. And the very last scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest thoughtful man of prayer. So man, uh, let's us be encouraged to step up in this whole area of praying. Of course you're praying, but God wants us to further develop in the discipline of prayer. God wants us to become the leading man and we can only become the leading man in the local church, in our family, in the community. God wants us to become the leading man in our Secular fields and through prayer, God will give you the wisdom and the understanding to rise up and to experience promotion so that we can actually bring some godly influence into all of these spheres and into all of these environments. Let's close our head, Uh, close our eyes, and bow our head, close our head. I say, Gosh, talk about getting muddled up. Hallelujah, Jesus, praise God, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Father, that in your presence there's fullness of joy. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father, that in your presence there's revival. Yes, and you hear by the power of your Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for all the men in the house. We thank you, Father, for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you, Father. That we can rise and occupy our God given position. It's the spiritual leaders in our homes. It's the spiritual leaders in the in the church. The spiritual leaders in our communities, in the companies, the businesses that we're involved in, in the clubs, in amongst our peers, our friends, that we become the spiritually dominant force in these environments. Thank you, Father, that you're helping us to lift above. Lord, the murmuring, the complaining, the disputing, the grumbling, the frustrations, the anger, and all the things that so easily beset men, that we're walking in the Spirit. And you said, if we do, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so, Father, I lift up all the men to you in this house, including myself. Thank you, Lord, for breathing on us. Thank you, Father, for helping us, Lord, to negotiate uh, everything that we need to negotiate. Lord, to be the servant leaders that you've called us to, that we're not here to dominate, but we're here to inspire. We're not here to demand, but we're here to lead by example. And we thank you, Father, that good things are happening in the mighty name of Jesus.